The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, if you have your Bibles or your phones, uh, open them up. We're going to be in a Psalm, uh, Psalm 51, one of the most well-known Psalms uh, in in the Bible. Um, So you can go there. We're going to read through it pretty quickly. Um, Does anyone here remember where you were September 11, 2001? Okay, hands up if you were not born then, just so I can feel sick in my gut about my age. <laughs> Donna's hands are raised, she wasn't born then. Okay, there's a few of us who weren't even born then, so we don't even have a living memory. Uh, September 11, 2001 is a massive day in human history, but for me, it's actually a slightly da- a day of different importance. In fact, it was the day that I had planned to propose to my now wife, Carly. And so I hadn't seen Carly, had been away in Bundaberg for a while uh, doing some teaching uh, prep up there and so she'd come back and I'd organized this big day it basically started in the morning went the whole day I had all these gifts wrapped that would be unwrapped throughout the day and sort of the, the last sort of climax of the night was we were going to go to the revolving restaurant down the Gold Coast we we're going to do this awesome meal and I was going to take her to this place and I was going to sing her the song that I'd written that I still know how to play and sometimes sing it to myself because she doesn't like it anymore so I just do it to me um, <laughs> And then, uh, and then I was going to propose, and, and so we, we, you know, the day's going perfect. She's constantly smiling, so I think I'm on a win. And we get in this lift, and halfway up to this particular building, the lift stops, and it jams. We were in a lift for over 45 minutes. Eventually, we were able to get people to come in, and they were able to open up the lifts a little bit, like kind of use these, these things to claw it open, and we could see the actual level. There was like this much room that we could see of where we should be, where we want to be, where it's all supposed to be happening. And we couldn't even fit, even if I'd pushed her up off my shoulders, we wouldn't have been able to fit through it. And so this night was going so well. And then all of a sudden we were stuck. And we we, we couldn't, and so I was was, was on panic streets. I was like, this is going to ruin everything. There was somebody else in the lift. So I'm like, well, I can't propose here. Let's be awkward. Have you ever felt stuck? where you can see where it is that you want to be, where you see where it is that you are hoping to get to. You know you should be there. You want to be there, but you don't know how to get there. For many of us, this is how we felt last year. We, we know how we're supposed to act as Christians despite a pandemic. We know how we're supposed to act uh, you know, now with wearing masks. Um, but those who don't wear masks, hey? Don't hate me right now. Sometimes in life we feel stuck and we don't know how to get out. This psalm is a psalm. It's a, it's a story. It's actually, it's, it's like a journal entry which has been sort of changed and adapted to become a church song that the people of Israel would all sing together to help them to know how do you get unstuck spiritually? How do you move from feeling distant from God, unapproved by God, unloved by God and move towards God and get uh, unstuck from being spiritually stuck. A bit of background to the story. Uh, there's a man by the name of David. He's just a shepherd boy and there's a king named Saul. And Saul is this kind of big, handsome, good-looking guy who's kind of ruling and reigning. And they have this enemy named Goliath and the Philistines. And eventually it's this young buck named David who comes and slays Goliath and frees the people. It's kind of his first moment of becoming put on the map. And people are starting to know and hear about this, 
this David. And fast forward over many sort of wars and many different battles. David starts to get even songs written about him by the people of Israel because he's now this great warrior, this great guy who people are like, man, this is our man. We love this guy. He comes into battle. And in those days, kings would often go to battle. And so there were songs about how good David was compared to Saul. And Saul's the king. He starts to get jealous. And so he kind of gets this plan to kill David and wipe him because he's the one who's getting all the credit. He's the one who's getting all the fame. It's his hashtag. It's his Instagram. It's his social media, which is going through the roof. And so David eventually flees and he's hiding and he's on the run. And over time, a bunch of loyal, character, principled men joined David to protect him and fight with him so that Saul wouldn't be able to kill him. And so they're known in the Bible as these mighty men. One of those men who basically did treason against the king Saul to go and be with David, his name is Uriah. And he is a good friend and he is a mighty man and he is a good man and he is a loyal man. Fast forward a number of years, Saul is off the throne. David becomes the king of Israel. And instead of going to wars, instead of being the, this general, this mighty fighter, he one day decides that he will stay home while sending everybody else out to war. When you read this in 2 Samuel, the language is really, really clear. He's changing. Something is shifting. In this time where all of his friends and all of his mighty men that have basically caused treason and followed him and looked after him and worked with him and fought for him are out there in battle, he sees somebody else's wife. The man's name was Uriah, one of his good friends, one of his loyal servants, his wife, and he decides to take her as his own. She falls pregnant. David then has to come up with a plan of how he can kind of uh, cover this up. So he calls for Uriah, his good friend, his loyal friend, the one who'd served him and put his life on the line for him to come back so that he could be with his wife and kind of cover it over. Uriah, as a good principled man, said, no way will I go and be normal and act normal and enjoy the things of this life by all the rest of the men out there. So he's still a good man. He's still a principled man. And so he sleeps at the front door. That doesn't work. David then gets him drunk. It's like, man, just drink my wine. Just drink my... God's fine. I mean, one, seven. I mean, who knows what the line is with drinking? Just keep going. And he still refuses to do this. And so then David says, okay, well, that's not going to work. The only way this is going to work is if I send some paperwork with him, send him to the front line, make sure he's one of the first men on the line so that he gets killed. And then I can play the little like, oh, poor Bathsheba. I better look after a card and bring her in and we can cover up this whole scheme. That is the man. That is the condition in which this psalm is written. A prophet by the name of Nathan comes and convicts him and confronts him about his sin. And for a year, he'd been covering this up and living with this weight and this baggage of all the things that he had done. He'd gone from the godly man, this, this man of character and principle, to being this man who is lying, cheating, stealing, killing. And he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to get unstuck. And this wonderful psalm shows us what David does. In particular, it shows us three truths about the nature of God and meeting our human basic needs that helps us to move forward. So often when this is preached, it's preached about like how to repent and how to turn to God. That's a really, really helpful way to kind of read Psalm 51. But I think it goes even beyond that. And so I want to give you three things, particularly today. 
and then we'll wrap up and finish. The first thing we see that David writes in this journal, which then becomes a song, is there's this focus on what God does and offers to do for us. Namely, God wants to give us his approval. This is one of our basic human needs. We have this desperate need as humans to feel a sense of being right. Not just right in an argument, but right holistically, being whole, being well. A sense of rightness or right standing in the world. The Bible often uses the term righteousness is what we need. So think of this. Think of uh, all of these different scenarios and what is it that we're looking for, right? So you, you go to the job interview and you're looking for the new job. You go to the job interview, you know a whole bunch of other people have been, uh, went to that job interview and now you're kind of over here day two, day three, day four waiting for a reply. What is it that you're waiting for? Approval. Did they accept me? Did they approve me? Will I get the job? Do I make match up? Do I stand up in this particular space? You go on that date. And you want the second date. And you're like, do I call them? Do I text them? When do I know? And you're kind of waiting. And what you're waiting for is like, you, you, you approve of me. You, you want, I stand right with you. You accept me, the job quote that you put through that you wait for to see whether I got the job, the end of year exams that we experience, you're waiting for your results. Will I get into that uni course? Will I pass this thing? All of these things are different ways that you and I are actually seeking what the Bible calls righteousness. It's a rightness in a certain particular context. We need it. We long for it in all sorts of categories. And the difference between the Christian and the Bible worldview is that what the Bible is saying is you don't just need this horizontally. We don't just need this as human beings in the workplace, in the university space, in the social space. We actually need this in the spiritual space. You can have right standing with the world. You can have right standing in your workplace. But what we most desperately ultimately need is a sense of rightness with God because you and I are made by God and for God. We're not just physical social beings. We are spiritual beings. And this is what David is experiencing. He is not right with God and he feels it and he knows it. And so what he does here is he acknowledges his need for God due to his sin. So listen to verse 1. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Is this not probably the hardest thing to do as a human being? Acknowledge you don't have it all. The actual hardest step in feeling and getting unstuck spiritually is first acknowledging that you are stuck. It's the hardest thing to admit to a spouse is that you're not exactly, you're like, you know, before, you know, I did that day when I was proposing to Carly and years later, it's like, she worked out everything that I'm not. <laughs> you're like, from date one, it was like, oh, I've got it all together. I'm not really, really pasty white. I can tan. And then she's like, no, actually, you just burn white guy. Right? No, you are kind of like back then. I never had a beard. So she never knew there was a little bit of ranger in me. And then it started coming out. She starts 
there's a sense in which over time people start to see the real you and all of our culture is about hiding the real you. Don't acknowledge the real you. Keep pretending that you're this. Keep putting on the image. Keep, keep posting that on the Instagram and the Facebook so that people think and what the Bible says and what God says is no, just admit you are you and you and I are broken. Because the only way to get unstuck starts with the acknowledgement that we actually need help. It's the only way you get healed from sickness is to say, I'm sick. The only way your broken leg or the torn calf muscle or, you know, as you're getting older and your eyesight's going, at some point you have to say, I'm a 42-year-old middle-aged man who can't see nothing. I need to get some help. And old mate's like, yeah, you do. Wear these goggles. David says, God, I need your help. Blot out, which means remove my record from me. Clean it up. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And here's the thing. One of the reasons that this is hard is because the way you and I deal with each other when we sin, when we hurt one another, we kind of, we kind of put that horizontal experience onto God. And so when we hurt each other and when, when we kind of, uh, we know as Christians, you know, if you're a Christian in the room, you kind of know you're supposed to forgive. So we kind of begrudgingly uh, forgive. We're like, sure, I have to. And then it's like, it's actually hard work to forgive and it takes time for you and I to forgive. Like forgiveness for you and I, it's a process. Someone really, really harms us and hurts us. It's not just a moment and then it's all good. God's not like that. For God, it actually is an instant moment. It's done. So often for us to come and acknowledge to God, it's like we're not really sure whether you can forgive or whether you even want to forgive. David knows, listen, I have really, really messed up, but I know that you are steadfast in love. You, like, you have this exponential amount of mercy. Listen. When you come to God with your mess and your brokenness, you don't have to keep begging Him to forgive you. He is so willing to just do it. And it's done. This is why when Jesus is on the cross, He says, it is finished. You don't have to work your way up to me. You don't have to work up and do all of these good things to make up for what you have done. David has messed up big time. Yet here is God willing to forgive him like that. One of the beautiful things about God is that God is willing to accept you, to give you that approval, to make you right with him. And the way that we get that is we just come and say, we need you. And God's like, great, done. Verses that tell us that he forgives us and he puts away from him as far as the east is from the west. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but that's a pretty big distance between those two things. One's going that way forever. One's going that way forever. That's how far away God removes from his own memory, his own mind and the way he thinks about you of the things that you and I have done and will do today and will do tomorrow. Isn't that crazy? Like when my wife sins against me or someone as a friend who sins against me, guess what I do? I remember that. And I store it. Like as a man, I've got storage compartments, special storage compartments. And I just leave it in there and then I'm going to just hold on to that sucker and later I'm going to go, see, this is just like last time. I knew you hadn't changed. That's not how God deals with you and me. He ain't bringing it back up. Done. 
God wants to do something for us. Secondly, God wants to do something in us. This is a sense that we don't just have this desperate human need for approval and to feel right with God. We need hope in the fact that things can change. See, I don't know how you feel. I actually have done really, really well in the forgiveness one. Number one, God doing something for me. My sexual past, rarely have any guilt about it, rarely have any shame about it, completely convinced that God has taken it away from me. Can God fix my anger problem? That I doubt. There's a sense in which some of us in the room struggle with God just forgiving us. Some of us is like, we've got that part, but can God actually change me? Can can God actually make me a different person? Can God actually fix the anger issue, the gospel issue, uh, the, the gossip issue? Can God actually fix the broken anxiety and depression issue, the addiction, the habit? Can God not only do something for me, can he do something in me? Some of us struggle with one. Others of us struggle with another. And David is here. And in this psalm, in this journal, which becomes a song, he starts saying things to God about the fact that he believes and cries out that God would not only do something for him, forgive him, wash him clean, uh, kind of take away his shame, but also then change him. This is, for some of us, why we are stuck spiritually is we accept the forgiveness of God. We don't accept that God is with us, present with us, helping us, growing us, maturing us. And here's the thing. Forgiveness is in an instant. Change takes time. They're different. But this is the hope that David has. This is the hope that he wants for those who would sing this song to receive that God's forgiveness is instant and God's present is constant. So he says things like in verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret place. This is the idea that you don't, God, just want to do something for me, excuse me, but you want to do something constantly, continually in me. You want to grow me. You want to change me. You want to mature me. You want to help me beat that habit, beat that sin, beat that thing behind me that's always been holding me back. Beat the lie that the apple hasn't fallen too far from the tree, that I'm going to be just like my mum. I'm going to be just like my dad. I'm just like the past. I'm just like all, all the rest of the Lewises, and I'll always be like them. Lie. Untrue. And if you believe it, you'll feel stuck. And David's like, no, no, no. No, no. You, yes, you forgive me. Thank you. But you're also going to make me a better man. And one day I'm going to be known as the man after God's own heart. Think about these two extremes. The David who we just heard about, who's writing this because he is stuck spiritually, and the David who we kind of eventually get to hear about, who is this godly man after God's own heart. The only person in the Bible given that title is David. Look at what he says in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. God, do something in here. Change my affections. Change my desires. This is hugely important to the Christian worldview. Because the Christian worldview says we don't just sin by choice. We actually sin by nature. And that's a hard thing to wrap our heads around because what that is ultimately saying is that All of us are flawed. All of us are broken. And we have this bent towards sin. But the good news of that is, if you and I only sin by choice, then all we need to do is, in our own strength, make better choices. Self-help. Okay? Do A, 
Do B, you'll get C. Self-help. The Bible says, no, no, no. Yes, we sin by choice. Yes, we make bad choices. But actually, there's a sin by nature. There's a, there's a bent in us. There's a brokenness from the very, very beginning. And God doesn't leave us in that state. God promises to give us His Spirit to be with us, to change the nature of us. So this is, if you're not a Christian, you may have heard of the word of being born again. You're one of those reborns, are you? Yeah. And what that means is God in himself comes and changes my heart. So once I did not love, now I love, not because I made a choice. Love! Love! You know, it's like, no, no, no. God, over time, is like, I'm just going to give you my love for people. I want to look at men and women and children and people of all ethnicities and all backgrounds like God does. God promises to give us His Spirit. So if you're here and you're a Christian and you are struggling, do not doubt, do not be hopeless, do not feel that. You are on your own struggling in this thing to just do better and be better. No, do what David did and go, God, as I try to do better, as I try to make better choices, please work in me by your spirit. And again, this takes time, so you have to get good at giving yourself grace. If God is going to be gracious, gracious and patient with us, we need to be gracious and patient with ourselves. So David is praying and hoping and he has this hope that God would, would not cast me away from your presence, verse 11, not take away my, your Holy Spirit from me, but you would restore the joy of my salvation. So that I would love walking with you and following you. And then number three, and we'll finish with this, is God not only wants to work for us and give us that sense of approval, God not only wants to work in us and give us that sense of hope that we are not alone, that He can change us and we can move forward, but also that God wants to work through us. And that is He gives us places and spaces to play in this world, to do things on behalf of God that are eternal, that everything that you and I do is meaningful and matters and is significant because it is done towards an eternal, significant, transcendent God who created beings of incredible value, dignity and worth. And God then invites us into this place to say, now I want to use you. Now I want to work with you. I've given you a personality. I've given you skills. I've given you a title. I've given you a position. And I want you to see that I am working for you, in you, and I want to work through you. So David verse 13 goes, Then I will teach transgressors your ways. I'll use my story, God. I'll put it in the Bible for the entire world to know that if a man can do all of that bad stuff and God can still love him, forgive him, cleanse him, change him and work through him mightily, God can work through you and me. If God can work through Abraham, he can work through you and me. If God can work through Esther, God can work through you and through me. If God can work through David, God can work through you and through me. Because these people are not superhero Christians. They're ordinary, broken people who simply acknowledge their need for God. 
and simply to ask that God would change them and that God would somehow use them even in their brokenness. And the entire story points to one person who is perfect, the rest are flawed, the rest are broken, and that one perfect being is working in and through broken people. This is good news, people, because this means we don't have to pretend, we don't have to fake it till we make it, we can be honest and real, and then people will say, why or how? And we can say, this is the nature of God. He uses ordinary, not super ordinary. He uses broken, not healed, not fixed, not altogether. This is good news. If your marriage is not perfect and it's broken, good news. If you physically, emotionally, mentally are broken, this is good news. If you have sin and shortfalls and habits that you can't break, this is good news because you are not without hope. God has given you a plan and a purpose for your life to be used by Him to do things for Him. Do you see? David has gone from being stuck. I don't know how to get out of this mess and lead a nation. I am a wretch of a man. But he turns to God and he accepts what God has done for him. He turns to God and he accepts what God has promised to do in him. And now he is willing to go, you know what? I'm not even looking at the sin. It's no longer defining me. My past no longer holds me back. What is defining me is my love for this God who would do that for me. And now I'm going to open my mouth and tell people my broken story. He goes on to say that he would sing aloud. O God, O God of my salvation, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And then he goes on at the end in verse 18. He says, do good design and your good pleasure. This is like build your church. Establish your kingdom in the world. Lord, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and bird offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered at your altar. In other words, then worship will occur. And we'll see more and more and more people who are broken and flawed and don't have it together coming to worship this God because there is no other God like this God named Yahweh. There are none but Him. If you are stuck today spiritually, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you're a church person or not a church person, this story, this journal, this song was written to help you to know how you can get unstuck spiritually. Let's pray. God, we thank you. So much, God, we thank you. Lord, as we, you know, we, we go quickly through that psalm, there's so many things that we may uh, skip over and miss, so many important truths. God, I pray you would help us to maybe just this week go back and just read over them. But Lord, I come back to the very, very beginning, which is David's, David's initial prayer to you is based on your nature. God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. God, this book doesn't just tell us what to do. It tells us who you are, what you are like. And God, you are not like us. You are so different. And that is good news because you are incredibly good. As we sung this morning, you are this good, good father. Your arms are open wide and you are calling us to come to lay aside our things that might hold us back, to not believe the lie that we can't come to you as we are, to believe the lie that you can't change us, that you can't fix us, or to believe the lie that you just, you're just going to choose those special people over there to do certain things, but the rest of us, ordinary people, we can't. You know, God, 
Your word tells us that you are abundant in mercy. You are steadfast love. You do stuff for us. You do stuff in us and you do stuff through us. And God, I pray that you would help us to believe that this morning. Christian or not, church person or not, help us to acknowledge our need for you. And God, may you ever be on our lips. We pray this in your wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.